It is a pleasure to be with you guys this morning, although uh, I brought a spring jacket to Kentucky. Uh, it, it was a bad, bad decision. Um, we are on the brink of the three most important days uh, in the Christian calendar, the Pas Paschal Triduum. Um, in some ways, the great three days uh, unites all the communions around us. We've been on a voyage of discovery in Lent. Um, Lent is, is a time, uh, it, was, it was the beginning of the Christian calendar. It's where it started. Penitents and those who were about to be uh, coming to the kingdom would go on a journey. Uh, and if the journey was successful with their sponsor, they would be acknowledged. Uh, uh, they would go through an exorcism service on Saturday night. Oh, that's a sort of an interesting part of our Christian programming that we don't do. And then on Sunday morning, they would be baptized, Easter morning, all of those who had gone through the journey. Uh, essentially, I'd like to talk to you guys here about an idea that I think unites us all, Christ followers all over the world. Essentially, grace is filled with irony. It's an, it's an amazing thing. The world, if we are right and the revelation of God is true, it's going toward a dead end. Uh, I call it the yard connection where I'm from. Everyone I know is going to die and go to the junk graveyard and everything I own is going to the junkyard. Uh, and there's nothing that can prevent that. All the oat bran and exercise, Sooner or later, if the Lord tarry, every one of us must die. It is built into the molecules of the fall. You cannot avoid it. We're heading to a great and terrible day, my mother used to say. <laughs> great and terrible day, she says, dawn is coming. But grace and Lent allows us to think in terms of U-turns. As a matter of fact, the grace of God not only permits U-turns, but it's mandated. Grace is a weird phenomenon. It works best among the people who deserve it the least. It is. It's, a, it's an amazing phenomenon. It works best among those who don't even know they need it yet. And those who think they don't need it don't get it. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. The kingdom of God is on this idea of reversal. Uh, this is the way I uh, sort of use it. I... I I've been toying with a concept that I think sort of embodies the Christian faith very good. It, it also is very intrinsic to fairy tales and comic tales. But the idea of reversal, the kingdom of God is rife. It, it affirms and displays reversal. If you believe in the Nazarene, you have to believe that no matter where a person is, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, their, their fortunes can change. They can be different. They can be new. This has been the anchor of a 45-year ministry that I'm proud to say I'm a part of. And to just make it plain, I just think the Lord is the God of the impossible. It means that he can do anything with anyone in any place to fulfill his purpose. That's the way I, 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 that's the way we use it, of where I am from. God can do anything with anyone in any place to fulfill his purpose. It doesn't matter who they are, what their background is. Doesn't matter what they've done. 
doesn't matter what any report is, it doesn't matter what the odds are, God can change anyone, anywhere, to do anything he wants them to do. That basic idea is the foundation of Christian thought. That's why we do mission. That's why we have worship. That's why we say, my Jesus, I love you. He reversed that in our own lives, right? It plays itself, this principle, though, plays itself out in all the great stories of our time. It really provides hope. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Reversal provides hope in the presence and the appearance of evil and, and oppression and despair. As a matter of fact, uh, the institute that I trained, we're constantly trying to give students who are basically all learners around the world, we try to give them a narratival understanding of the Bible. One grand epic tale that is united in our lives as we embody it, we live it through the Christian year. The Christ life relived in real time. It's perfect for poor folk and raggedy people, right? I'll say my own amens at Asbury. I'm a black preacher. I bet you don't have many people yell from this pulpit. I'm going to break you in, old thou pulpit of, of power. Oh, look. Oh, oh look. I, they only gave me till 1230, so I better just, yeah. No, we're going to be out. I know the time, Winfield. You don't have to be afraid. I know. I know what I'm doing. I'm cross-cultural. Uh, okay. Guys, the essence of Christianity is that there is amazingly, as J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis said, there is a resonance between the great tales of fairyland and comic tales. They're very much the same. The little girl with the petite feet in the basement winds up being the princess. The big lungy, big-headed, ugly duckling becomes this glorious swan. You kiss every frog in a fairy story because a prince might be in it. And, and the rich playboy, so-called philanthropist, Bruce Wayne is nothing other than the dark knight. In comic tale, in fairy tale, reversal is rife. In other words, in a world where evil and oppression and things are misunderstood, at the right time, a shaft of grace hits and everything is changed, right? This is our story. This is Lent. We are moving toward this great end of this story. And I love what Tolkien said about this. He wrote an essay that I think is one of the most important in theological history uh, some, some time ago called On Fairy Stories, where he compared the Christian story to fairy stories. He said the story he was meaning the Christian story in context, is supreme. It is like a fairy story, but it's supreme and it's true. He said in our story, art has been verified. God is the Lord of angels and of men and of elves. Oh yeah, what I'd given to write that line. Legend and history in our story have met and fused. Our story reads like a fairy tale a young black drug slinger on the streets of the city. The shaft of grace hits me, and all of a sudden I'm a preacher, an apostle, a person who is, who is conniving to go into the next pit, the next crack, the next hole, and, and gently whisper and woo the gospel story in that hole. 
See what? That, that's grace, right? That's fairy story. A black brother like me can understand that. Look, look I was waiting for one person at Asbury to understand the righteous and pure call and response that you should have given me at that moment as a black preacher. Go ahead, make it plain. Good job, hallelujah. But uh, I'll just give you, I'll give you, a, I'll give you hand signals here. Guys, let me say something in 20 minutes. Uh, I can't tie my shoe in 20 minutes, but I'm going to try. God elects people in places that are of suspicious histories, social pedigrees, and shabby examples. This is essentially the message of Lent. God Almighty is doing something different. God Almighty is reversing the effects of the curse. Hell and death and, and demonic oppression are now about to be crushed. And the king of glory is about to come in. One day, the father will nod to the son, and he will don this robe dressed in, in red and blood with the word of God on his thigh, and he will come and set up a kingdom that will never end. And we represent that here. We are the people of the story, right? Yeah, okay. That wasn't very exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Guys, let me very quickly... Let's look at this. Nazareth is the perfect example of this reversal. Look at, at the, the first part. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found uh, Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. We have found him. Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. I highlight the word Jesus of Nazareth because, guys, Nazareth is the most unlikely place for a Messiah to come out of. Only the Gospels in the Acts use Nazarenes or Nazareth in the New Testament. It was dinky in size at the time of Christ. It was probably 60 acres uh, in Gentile country, dripping wet. It probably could only hold about 480 people. There's only one positive citation of Nazareth or Nazarite uh, in the New Testament, uh, uh, an obscure text in Matthew 2, 23. And frankly, if you looked and tried to find out exactly where it was, it'd be very difficult to find. It's one of these amazing apostolic sort of uh, splashes. It's hard to track down what they were referring to. And frankly, if you look historically, Nazareth is associated as a region of serious and suspicious reputation. Hiram, uh, the friend of David, was given the cities, a number of cities in Galilee in 1 Kings 9, 11 through 13. Uh, you can read that. It says, Hiram, king of Tyre, who supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress, timber and gold, as much as he desired. King Solomon gave to him, in exchange, 20 cities in the land of Galilee. And, but when Hiram saw he came and saw the cities that Solomon had given him. He saw Galilean cities. They didn't please him. As a matter of fact, Hiram, and I'll put it in urban tone, he said, man, what the heck are you giving me these raggedy cities for? Hiram didn't like them. They were raggedy. They were poor. They were unimpressive. It is not the place where Messiah should be born and grow up and be raised. But it's precisely that reversal that God is about. 
land of Kabul, those cities are called. It literally means sense of limitation. <laughs> Guys, not Jesus the Messiah, the greatest person in on earth. I can't wait to see him with my own eyes. He was born in a place that's obscure, of suspicious background, an unlikely place. It's precisely why more than 25, nearly 25 years ago, we decided that we would go to the raggediest, most dangerous places on earth, and we would try to bring an Asbury experience to people who are so poor that they can't eat. They work all day to eat that night, and yet they love Christ. They would sing the same songs that we sung in chapel earlier. We, we've been doing this now and in innovating for these poor people, in, including some 72 prisons and jails that we're in. We have nearly 1,000 graduates who are in 18 countries. We are innovating among the broken and the poor because we believe in reversal. There's not a person on earth who should not hear this good news and be invited to come and be a full participant in this grace. Guys, it reminds me of a fellow named Lamont Little. Found him first. I remember Lamont, Lamont was a felon in one of the great California prisons who was serving some time. He had come to the Lord. He had entered into our seminary training, and he graduated. He was paroled to San Diego County, and he had always said, I'm going to start a new ministry once I get out. It's going to be called One Man Ministry, and he began his ministry to the homeless on the streets of San Diego with two bottles of water and two peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> Guys, I believe in reversal. This guy, when he was in prison, he never got a chance to graduate. And as the chancellor of the institute, I thought it would be good to go down to San Diego and to graduate him on the streets in front of the people that he was ministering to. So we went and got our representatives, and we had a commencement service on the streets of the ghetto of San Diego. Now, I'm telling you, if you believe in reversal, it gives you freedom, right? We're free to go to the most broken. Grace works like water. It goes into cracks and begins at the bottom. Then it begins to rise. That's the way grace is. It's for nobodies and nothings. People who mumble to themselves, who sleep under, under bridges, who smell like urine, who have, whose hands are all beat up from needles, who don't understand what they're saying to you. Those people is what Lynn is about. Those people are what grace is about. This dear brother is doing great ministry. Amazing guy. <laughs> oh, I laugh a lot these days because grace does that in your life. You love to see the effects of grace. It looked, Nazareth was a dinky place, guys. It was. It was dinky and unimportant. Jesus came from a place like the, street, the, inner, the streets of the inner city of San Diego. Jesus was born in a place that was infested with Gentiles. The geography was pretty much worthless. It was associated with moral compromise, and yet God decided to bring the Messiah out of that town. That's the way this works. That's the way God works. Nazareth is not a place you would look for the Messiah, but God can do anything with anyone in any place and fulfill his purpose. What about, what about the pedigree of the people who grew up in Nazareth? Uh, did you see what Nathaniel just sort of gently chided Philip? Uh, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Guys, this is something you should understand historically. Theologically, it was wonderful to hear Dr. Goldstein today with Chosen People's Ministries. Heard him in the school, in your school of world mission. He was sharing about his ministry in modern day uh, Nazareth and Galilee, upper and lower. Uh, but Nazareth historically was associated with reproach and scorn. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why we're not called Nazarenes, we're called, we were called Christians, is because Nazarenes historically, theologically, was a concept that was very associated with cultic, bizarre faction, even heresy. As a matter of fact, if you look at Tertullus in his, his oratory before Felix, the governor against Paul, he said this about, he, he associated Nazareth in this way, but to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague, speaking of Paul, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. You get that? Nazarenes are sectarian, sordid, weirdo, cultic kind of folk. They're not, they wouldn't get into Asbury, not even with a sponsor. Guys, this is really true. In early Christian history, Tertullian, uh, you, you, Tertullian said that Jews uh, used Nazarenes as an anti-Christian slur. And later it was used that way by both Persians and Muslims. And then, of course, anyone who studied the terms Nazarene and Galilean knows how Emperor Julian, uh, Julian the Apostate, he was called. His hatred for all things Galilean and Nazarene. He, he, he was disgusted with the idea of Nazareth being the center of the world. Guys, this is precisely where now, this is where God does business. Here's a picture of an early graduation class of the seminary that, uh, uh, classes that we sponsored for those in the inner cities around the world. This is also in San Diego, and I draw your attention to a little sister, a city. She was in a wheelchair. Margaret, she's an urban disciple of Jesus. She was in her 70s. She'd been praying for a training center in her neighborhood for a long time. She tried to win her friends and neighborhood kids uh, with her knowledge of the Word of God. She loved the Word of God. We opened the Tumi uh, satellite in her neighborhood. It was like a dream come true. She became a faithful student. Uh, she was very close uh, to finishing her work with us when she was admitted to the hospital with complications stemming from uh, advanced stages of diabetes. While she was in ICU, this little dynamite woman persuaded one of the ICU nurses to help her finish her final exam. This is exam time here. I bet none of you are going to be studying on your IC, ICU bed, right? Grow up. Come on now. Quit complaining. This little sister on her deathbed finished her last assignment. Golly, I think of her heart. Think of the heart of a little sister like that. Look, Nazareth is filled with people like Margaret. Jesus' hometown became a byword for odd, false, troublemaking, strange little people filled with religion and heresy. But what it really was, it was a molding ground for some of the deepest, most sensitive people on earth. Guys, open your eyes to see what God can do among those who are most broken. Nazareth is not a place you would expect the word made flesh to grow up in. But quite honestly, guys, God can do anything with anyone in any place to accomplish his will.
Guys, let me close with this idea, shabby examples. When you look at our Lord, our Lord was associated with immorality. He was. He was not somebody that you, you would say, like Philip said enthusiastically to Nathaniel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip's reply, come and see. Well, many people came and saw, and they didn't like what they saw in the Nazarene. He was called a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber. He was a friend of sinners. He was a party-goer. He was willing to attend feasts and gatherings hosted by tax collectors and sinners. Bob, my colleague, and I were down, said this is a beautiful, uh, beautiful chapel. Do you think we could do some hip-hop with these things? Look, when Jesus went to hip-hop parties, he associated with people that none of us would want to go to. This was who he was. He was associated with those people. He was doubted by members of his own family. He received and lodged with them. His own folk called him out of his mind. Right at the most, at the, at the meaningful, most meaningful point of our Lord's own great work, right after he had appointed the 12, he had appointed Simon, and whom he called Peter and James and John and, and, and all of the others, the, the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, and Judas Iscariot. After, at this high water mark in the Messiah's great unfolding of his ministry, he goes home and, and the crowd gathered. He couldn't even eat. But when his family heard about him, they went to seize him because they were saying he was out of his mind. Even his own family didn't think he was smart. Or, guys, don't you see this? The Nazarene is not somebody who has got perfect pedigree from a wonderful spot. He is a person from a shabby place filled with sordid, sectarian, brooding heretics, and he himself is even called out of his mind. This is precisely why grace worked so powerful through our Lord. This humble Nigerian brother I met in a prison. He was a university, he was PhD, uh, uh, he, had, he had finished his PhD, University of Nebraska. He was in a prison for involuntary manslaughter in a fit of rage. He really in, engaged in something in, in, a, in a tussle with his wife and, and her lover and she, uh, the gun went off and she died, unfortunately, and he found himself in a, in a maximum security prison. Uh, we had already scoped out the prison and were determined that I believe in reversal, that some of the best places to see God work is some of the most unlikely and most violent and dangerous places. So I wanted to start seminary in the prison. Come on now, this is grace, right? Don't tell me you believe in grace and you're afraid of people who are sinners. Something's wrong with your theology. Grace is made for them. That's, they're the ones that he died for. This dear brother, little gentleman, told me his story. And I said, brother, with your academic background and where you are, and if I can check with the chaplain and see if you're following the Lord, you would make a perfect academic dean for what we're doing. PhD, he has multiple degrees from his home country. That little man started the first satellite of the Urban Ministry Institute in Ellsworth Maximum Security Prison. This, this group of guys, most of them are never going to get out, was the seed that God has used to literally spawn a movement that has grown to more than 70 prisons today. 
We are training, yeah, we should clap. We are training thousands of Christian workers who are afraid of nothing. They will sleep on anything. They will eat worms and raw billy goat. They will go to any community. They are not afraid of anything. And these guys understand grace. They're going to go to places you will lock your doors, you drive through. But this is, this is reversal, right? This is the way God is. You get the people who are on the bottom of the shoe, the people who are on the, the gum on the boot of the shoe. That's the way grace works. <laughs> That's the way it works. It works for those who have nothing. As a matter of fact, we're pretty creative. This is a, a picture of a baptism service we had in the L.A. County Jail, the largest jail in America. 20,000 people in the jail in L.A. 20,000 in jail. Now, in that, they don't have a lot of liturgical blessed things. So we, we made antiseptic a trash bin. Guys, look it up. I think it's biblical. You Bible scholars out there. Guys, it's fine. Grace takes a garbage scowl, sanitizes it, and baptizes disciples of Jesus in it. Do you understand what grace is about? Grace is for the broken, the small, the neglected. God can do anything. Guys, let me, let me close with this. God's thoughts are not yours or mine. The kingdom is upside down. That's what reversal is saying. God has actually chosen the poor, those who are poor in the world, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And he's promised that to them who love him. Or this great text, and Paul sort of reinforces this Nazareth idea. Paul can say to the Corinthians, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. Guys, listen to the apostles. He chose what is foolish in the world, to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world, to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, that no human being might boast in his presence. God has established reversal that no human being gets any credit for anything. Isn't it wonderful? It's marvelous. Guys, if you think this is just the excited uh, machinations of an overheated middle-aged black guy. Uh, by the way, I don't trust any preacher who doesn't spit. I just, how can you preach and not spit? I don't. Guys, if you want to do a great study, you're seminarians, go and open your Bible and find every citation where the spirit of reversal is spoken by Christ, the poor will become rich, and the rich will become poor. The humble will be exalted, and the proud will be made low. It's the blind, he said, who will see, and those who see will be made blind. He said that we become free when we die to ourselves and become slaves to him. He's chosen the foolish to shame the wise, and he's chosen the weak to shame the strong. You only gain the next world by giving this one up. You become greatest by being the servant of all. You store up treasures above in, in order to avoid losing. You must, if you want to store up treasures aboard, you have to lose them below. The first will be last, and the last will be first. 
Those who love this life, he said, will lose it, and those who hate this life will keep it. Guys, over and over and over, and he said to one of his own, my grace is perfected when you are weakest and most vulnerable. Guys, this principle is the principle of Lent. This is the principle of Holy Week. God is reversing all things in the world, and he's doing that in a way that the world can't understand because what we live by what we believe, not by what we can see. Doesn't it seem like those on top are going to be the ones who win? But that's not true. Look again. Go back to the etymology of the Latin term respect. To look again. Look again at the world and you will see what Brother King saw. You can't fly, then run. He, he said, look, because, because the whole universe is bent a certain way, he said, all you have to do is to keep moving forward, and the grace of the story will lead you on. If you can't fly, he said, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And for every oppressed and broken people on earth, they've just understood that God is a God of reversal. He's a God of little people, shabby folk, nasty places, sordid reputations. Guys, all that to say your story ain't done. I don't know what your story is. God is on the throne. God is on the throne, guys. God is on the throne. This is, what, this is why I know that the work, Bob, that we're doing in the inner cities of the world is not in vain. God Almighty is the Lord of the impossible. And like I said, to start and the way I will close, God can do anything with anyone in any place to fulfill his purpose. He is permitting you turns all over the earth. Guys, isn't it, doesn't, isn't it striking that the who's who of Christianity reads like a, like a, a sheet list of jihadists and weirdos? Jacob is a schemer. Paul is a jihadist. I remember the first time I taught that, just that Paul was a jihadist. He meets all the things. People were saying, no, he wasn't. No, he drug little old ladies out of synagogues by the hair for religious reasons. He was a religious bigot and a violent person. He was, in my judgment, a jihadist. Moses was a murderer and a fugitive. David was a betrayer and an adulterer. Jonah resisted God's will, running the opposite direction and God's own people. They, look, look what they did. They broke every covenant. Guys, just think of Zacchaeus if you want to look at the New Testament. And, and, and Levi, the, the traitor. Or Mary Magdalene, the woman with issues. Or Peter, the betrayer. Think about you and I. Aren't we fickle? Guys, the whole ministry of the faith is that God Almighty is restoring people who don't deserve it, you'll never earn it, and he's giving it just because he's good. The principle of reversal. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. I've established a ministry on this principle. Dear friends, let this be my last word. A diamond is a chunk of coal that really, really did well under pressure. <laughs> No matter how broken or poor or lost or hurting a human being is, the Nazarene's blood was shed to bring them back. And reversal is in play. So please understand that principle again in your own life and the life of those with whom you relate. I have a word of prayer with you. In the name of the risen Christ, 
who is reversing all things back under the rule and the reign of Most High God, the Nazarene. May we come to understand and participate in this grace that still flows downhill and rises from the bottom place first. In the name of the risen Christ, I pray. Amen.